0: Back to the story, where were we? Bathsheba, okay. So Bathsheba tends to get a rap, tends to get a certain perception. And we're gonna look at her because there's a story about her that is amazing and needs to be told. And it has to do more with taking a bath. Now, I'm gonna ask you this question here. Have you ever felt stuck? Pretty sure we've all done that. You don't have to tell a story. You don't have to tell a story of, um, you know, maybe you were stuck in a chair or stuck into this, stuck into that. I had a picture on that white screen. You can put it up again. It's hidden Hidden figures. Uh, There was a picture there that just didn't uh, download. It was a picture of a Chinese finger trap. Anyone ever use one of those before? Uh, if you're bored later on today, apparently there's a challenge out there where you put all of your fingers in different finger traps and try to get out, okay? So, I don't know. If you're bored during the hurricane, there you go. You can, you can figure that out, okay? Um, now, finger traps are cool. You know, has anyone ever panicked for a second when you couldn't get it off? Right? Yeah, me too. I, I, I ain't going to lie. There was the times that I just panicked. But wait, it's supposed to it's supposed to it's not just for a quick second now my kids have never seen my kids have never seen a chinese finger trap before they didn't even i didn't even call it a chinese finger trap i just said hey let me show you something okay look i wanted to see their reaction it was worth it okay it was worth it i was like look here give me your finger He's like okay okay now give me your other finger why just watch okay put it on all right you got it okay see ya and left. Okay, and then It was like "That like, like, What is this? So it was super confusing. They didn't know. It was they were panicking and stuff like that. Bueno, uh, I I was nice. I didn't let them suffer long. Okay, just a couple minutes. It's not that bad. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I didn't let them suffer long. I took it off. Now, well, we've all been stuck. We've all been stuck in moments. Unfortunately, though, uh, demons are not as compassionate as we are. Because when demons see us stuck in moments, they don't help. They make it worse. And there's one circumstance, there's one way that you and I have found ourselves. And if you haven't, you're going to find yourself at one point like this. It's stuck in a moment in your past. Maybe something happened to you. Maybe you did something. Maybe you didn't do something. And a moment that has marked you. Somebody said something to you that you still hold on to today Something you said to yourself and there's a lot of people who are stuck in the moment in the past They're stuck in that moment even though their story is continued and there's so much more listen like any good book I I used to hate reading now. I can read I like reading like any good book you can read, they might be halfway through the chapter, or maybe like two-thirds of the way in. You see everything is difficult, it's hard, the story is, oh my gosh, it's, 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 you know, not everything's not looking right. If you stay there, you're just not going to get the resolution. But there's more to the story, it keeps going. There's a lot of us who, in, you know, you're in a different chapter in your life, but you're still t- stuck in chapter two. You're still stuck in chapter three and you're living a different story, but you're still listening and focused on this thing. Here's the thing, guys, when you are stuck in in a moment in your past, now your past holds your present hostage. And that's not a place you want to be. Your past holds your present hostage. Bathsheba is one of those who tends to be assumed, and we think of her based on this moment in her past. But you guys know that her story Has way more to tell. In fact, this is the key thing about her story is that there's the bottom line to today that your tragedy does not have to be your legacy. That's Bathsheba's story. Your tragedy does not have to be your legacy. Whatever happened in this moment, yes, it happened, it's real. But there's more to your story. If you're still alive, your story is still being written. There is more to the story and her and that she's going to, we're going to look from her today. We're going to see that, that, that your tragedy does not have to be your legacy. And so when we enter in, before we see Bathsheba show up, before we see her show up, and this is in 2 Samuel, we're going to read this in a little bit, 2 Samuel chapter 1, verses 1 through 15. We are going to look at that. But before we do that, see, Bathsheba tends to get buried in a bigger story about King David. And you're going to see why when we look at the story. Bathsheba's story is buried. Because we focus on David and a bunch of other stuff, which is awesome, but we can't miss, we can't miss this amazing, amazing, amazing reality of what God did in this lady's life. Now, this is around a round of time by First and Second Samuel, listen, the, the key figure is King David. All right? If you've grown up in church, you've heard of David and Goliath, that's the David. So this, the main figure, the main story is focused on King David. Bathsheba plays a supporting role for a moment. And her entrance into the story is important. Because up until now, up until now, in 2 Samuel, before we had King David as a poor shepherd boy, and now he is the king of Israel, true rags to riches. And here here he is, and we've seen example after example of the faithfulness of God. But right at this moment, we begin to see David's faults. We see David's faithfulness, but now we see David's faults. And David's downfall begins with Bathsheba. This is why, you know, she, we tend to maybe impose too much meaning in her story and label her too much because David's downfall begins with Bathsheba, but it wasn't her fault. And we're going to look at why. So let's read. uh, We got 2 Samuel chapter one, verses one through 15. We're going to read the whole story in its entirety. All right. So if you're following along, you can do that. Uh, we're gonna have it on the screen, and here we go. In the spring of the year, the time when the kings would go to battle, David, who's king, sent Joab, the general of the army, and his servants with him in all of Israel, and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David, what happened? What did he do? He remained. He stayed home. He's supposed to be leading his army in battle. He stayed home. So already, situation. Let's go to the next one. It happened that late one afternoon. When David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house, this must have been his daily routine, something that he did. Uh, As he's walking, as he's walking on the roof of the king's house, that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. The Hebrew word for beautiful here is she don't just got the face, she got the body to go with the face. It's all inclusive, okay? The whole package, that kind of a person. So this is who we are, who David is looking at. Now, pay attention here. In verse 3, David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, meaning that's actually the, that Hebrew phrase means he's talking to himself. He's telling himself. You ever been in a conversation with yourself? You ever know one of those? You feel crazy when you do that? Like, are you, are you ever, I mean, has, any, has anyone ever been caught having a conversation with yourself out loud? Yes. Yikes, okay. Me too. Right? It's weird, right? You'd be like, you know, you just be, I don't know, you just be thinking, I'm like, yo, I'm tired. You want to go to sleep? I don't know, man. I got stuff to do. No, you go ahead. Check it out. No, no, know. You, you talk to yourself. We all do that. That's normal. If that happens to you, it's normal. David's talking to himself. So that's what that phrase means. He's talking to himself. So check it out. David, and one said, yo, is that not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? He's asking and talking to himself. So David sent messengers and took her, Keyword. He took her, and she came to him, and he laid with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her, unclean, uh, her uncleanness. Then she returned home, and the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. David then sends word to Joab, the general of the army. He says, Hey, I want you to send Uriah the Hittite to me. Bring him over. I'm calling him, okay? And Joab sent to Uriah, sent Uriah to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going. Okay, he thought this was normal protocol. I'm pretty sure Uriah would have to do things like that in the past. David then sends to Uriah, Hey, bro, why don't you look, man, go down near your house. Yo, wash your feet. Okay? And Uriah went out of the king's house. And there followed him a present from the king. I mean, he's just laying it thick on this guy. Gives him a present to go, all this other stuff. It's awesome. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the other servants of his lord. He didn't go to his house. When they told David, Uriah did not go down to his house. David said to Uriah, bro, have you not come from a a journey? Why Why didn't you just go to your house? Uriah said to David, The Ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths, and my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are camping in an open field. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live, and as the soul, as your soul lives, my king, I will not do this thing. Then David sent Uriah and said, Alright, it's cool. Look, why don't you remain here today and tomorrow I'll send you back to battle? Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and then the next, so a couple days now. He's been here for quite a, few, quite a few moments now. David invites him and he eats in his presence and he drank and David got him drunk, okay? So David gets the dude drunk and in the evening, he went out to lie on the couch with the servants of his Lord and he did not go to his house. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and he sent it by the hand of Uriah. In the letter he wrote, set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest fighting, then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die. So, super scandalous, okay? And it gets even crazier, even later. But I want to stop and focus on this moment here. Can you see why Bathsheba gets buried in the story? Like, you're already focusing on who now? David right? You're focusing on David and Uriah. And so sheep gets buried very easily. But here's something that we want to make sure as we go over. Number one, I want you to notice that Bathsheba was noticed, okay? Number one, I want you to know that Bathsheba was noticed, okay? Now, you may think, uh, who wouldn't notice somebody butt naked on a roof taking a shower, okay? Who wouldn't notice that? Uh, back again, it's, it's hard for us to kind of look at. Some people actually think that Bathsheba kind of asked for it. Like, look, if you, you know, if you got it and you flaunt it, okay, and you get all this attention, uh, you brought this upon yourself, right? And so we got to stop for a second because we can't move on without that. Okay, we can't move on with, the, with that misconception. First off, okay, yes, she was noticed. What was she doing? Ironically, she was taking a bath. But sometimes when we think bath and bathing, we automatically think, okay, she's taking a shower. Now, back then in Israel in the ancient times around this time and throughout the Middle East, the, they had flat roofs. And the roofs were served the purpose, you know, like any other place in the house. Now, here's the thing. Back then, everything was really low to the ground, stuff like that. So if you were on the roof, it was still private. No, not many people could have seen you, depending on where you are. Now, the king's palace or his house sat on a hill overseeing. And if you look at modern Israel today, it's just like ancient Israel. It's super packed, packed in really tight. So he, David is on a hill, his house is on a hill, and he can see everything. And he just happens to notice a woman. Now, you would feel like, yo, who wouldn't notice a woman, especially if you should look good, taking a shower out of that? Well, again, here's how we believe that she wasn't taking a shower or a bath. The word said she was cleaning herself, right? Washing, purifying herself from her uncleanness. That was a ritual. She was uh, fulfilling a ritual that God had installed in the law. See, ladies, when you would get that time of the month for you, that's what was happening, this was going down. When that time of the month, that period cycle would show up, You would have to be restrained because back then they didn't understand germs and blood and this and that. So they had to, God gave them a law and a system of, hey, you know, you got to do this. Okay, ladies, you can't do this, can't do that. Guys, can't do this, can't do that around this time. And then when the period was over, you had to go through a ritual of being cleansed. And it could have just been simple washing of hands, washing of something. You You didn't have to be naked to do that. That is what Bathsheba was doing. She was trying to purify herself according to the law. She was obeying God. So she wasn't out there just be like, hey, you know, was like, you know, out there, you know, like one of those, um, you know, shampoo commercials, right? Who does that, right? Out there in the, just the, you know, not even the ocean, in the mountains, you know, with the, you know. That wasn't her. This wasn't her. That wasn't, she wasn't doing that. David noticed her. And you know what I noticed? I think David, I really believe David, had eyes for Bathsheba before this moment. Because see, Uriah the Hittite was one of David's soldiers. Now, if you read the Bible and it's, if under, in other areas prior to this, Uriah was actually one of G, David's, sorry, special forces soldiers. He was one of the top 30 soldiers in the nation. This guy was no joke, ruthless, famous. This guy actually, before King David was King David, King David was running in the wilderness from King Saul, Uriah, was one of those guys who was with David when David had no one. Uriah was there. He was his boy. His ride or die guy. That's who he was. Uriah the Hittite means he's not a Jew. Uriah was not a Jew. He was brought in to the family of God because he belonged to the kingdom of the, the Hittite kingdom, which had been demolished and destroyed. He was looking for a new home. And Israel, the nation of Israel, brought him in, gave him a new home, a new future. Guy got a career. Guy got a woman. It's going great. And that's what makes it so much more scandalous that David did this to one of his boys to try to cover his own back. That's what makes it so, oh, my gosh. And that wouldn't be because David knew Uriah. I'm pretty sure David had noticed Bathsheba more than once. I was like, oh, that's your wife? Oh, hey. Hey. I'm pretty sure that happened. Had to have happened. Because now here's King David all alone. You know, the army is gone. Most of the officials are gone. Her husband's not home. David sees an opportunity. So, number one, Bathsheba was noticed. But then I want you to catch this. Part two is this, Bathsheba was abused. Bathsheba was abused. Nowhere in the Bible do we see that Bathsheba was complacent. Okay? Meaning that, oh, and by the way, if a king called you, especially back then, you don't refuse the king. You don't deny the king. And so she went there. Maybe that had happened before. She didn't think anything different. So she goes, but this time King David makes a move against her will. Notice even the phrasing, he slept with her. They didn't sleep with each other. In fact, this is how I know that she was complacent, that she cannot be implicated, that she did nothing wrong. Because later on, if you read the story, you read the next chapter, King David is confronted by God through the prophet Nathan. And Bathsheba is actually described as an innocent lamb as an innocent lamb. So Bathsheba is, she didn't ask for it. She didn't do something that brought this upon herself. Y'all following me on that? She didn't bring this upon herself. She didn't deserve this. She was trying to do the right thing. She was abused. She was raped by King David. That's what happened. She had nothing wrong to do. But, and you would think, well, why? She couldn't have and why she couldn't have this, or couldn't have that. Well, we're gonna talk about that in a little bit. But you got to catch that, that that's what happened there. And not only number one was she noticed, number two, she was abused, and then number three, she was dismissed. After David had his way, he sent her home. Listen, you know, there's so many people, especially here in general, there's a lot of people out there that that allow others to mistreat them. Maybe some people in here. Listen, just because somebody allows you to mistreat them doesn't give you the right to mistreat them. Follow me on that? There's some broken people who don't know any better and allow other people to mistreat them. And people take advantage of that. And look, if you want to date somebody, hey, if you want to date and you're thinking of that you're married, look, just because they allow you to mistreat them, just because they allow you, look, kids and parents, just because some of your parents allow you to disrespect them doesn't give you the right to disrespect them. Catching me? Just because they allow you to do it doesn't make it right. And so here... She was dismissed, sent home, but she wasn't sent home alone because she was pregnant. And now David goes into this massive cover-up mode because this was that act of raping and abusing, committing adultery. According to the law, David was going to die. If it got out, David was going to die. Not about she, but because there's laws that were protected women against those things. She was going to, not him, I mean, sorry, not her. She was going to die. So he's trying to cover this whole thing up. That's why he tries to get Uriah to go home. Hey, makes sense. Yo, if I get my, her husband to sleep with her, they get together, I can pass that baby on as his. I'm good. Could you imagine how frustrated he was? Uriah, bro, just go go home, dude, go home. He wouldn't go home. Yo, I mean, look at this. Not only was not only was Bathsheba raped, she was robbed of a good man. Y'all catch this? You know how? Man, look at that. Even Uriah showed more honor and self-control, drunk, faced, than David had sober. Catch that? He was drunk. Uriah was drunk off his behind, yet he still had more honor than David had sober. What a man. That was a good man there. Listen, the part of the story continues on. Uriah does die. I mean, think of that. Here is Uriah holding this letter sealed by the king. He knows he can't break that seal because he'll be breaking the law. So he doesn't break the seal. He has no clue. He is holding his own death certificate in his hand. He hands it it later to Joab. Joab opens it, reads this weird command from the king. Joab doesn't question it but he doesn't follow it to the teen either because it doesn't make sense. If Joab tells other people, hey, listen, I'm gonna send you over there into the thick of it. And when I say run, run and leave Uriah. No, that's awkward. No one's gonna do that. You know what Joab ends up doing? Joab sends Uriah to lead a group in a very difficult mission. And not only does Joab, not only does Uriah die, so does that group. David's cover-up created more than just widow that one more than one widow that day that was sad it's a sad day but guys i want you to catch this that she was she not, she was not only dismissed that moment but she was just dismissed in general because you know that according to the scriptures one year went out and no one said anything for a whole year uriah dies she mourns and then david wants to swoop in as the hero I'm like, oh, you know what? You know what? I'll take her in. I'll take her in to my house. I will. Because she had no son. So, again, if you know, we've been talking about this, a widow with no kids, destitute. Okay? The kingsman redeemer, the one who would come in and save that woman. That was a big deal. So, here, David's the bad guy, but here he is, want to be, you know, want to be the good guy. David takes her home. She becomes... Now another one of his wives, which is something that God told him not to do. No king should have more than one wife, right? Fellas, same thing. You got one woman, no side chicks, okay? Same work, same applies today. So, same applies today. One woman, no side chicks. Don't work that way. You just get more complicated, right? One woman's enough, okay? Trust me, one woman's enough. It's all good. So worth it, so worth it, so worth it. So, with that, notice that here he is dismissed. I mean, a good man here. Good man. He didn't want to, I mean, he was thinking about his friends, like, yo, how can I go home and relax in my bed when I got my boys out here sleeping on the floor, bloodied up? I can't go take a shower and clean up when my boys are dirty and bloody out in battle. So he stays. Bathsheba probably doesn't even know he's there. I don't know. He stays multiple days and then goes back to war. Listen, if I had went out of town, came back to town, didn't go home, and didn't tell my wife, I, I would be better off over and fight. Uh, look, Let me just go to that war. I'm, I, I don't want to, this war I'm going to lose. I'm going to die if I go home. Let me just go over here. If I did that and she found out that I was out of town, came back and didn't say anything, I'll take my chances uh, with like ISIS and stuff like that. I'll go fight them, okay? I'll have a better shot with them. Now, this one I ain't going to do that. But anyways, so here she is, good man, honorable man. David now tries to be the hero. And one year goes by. No one says anything. Joab didn't question the king. Yo, why did you make me do that to one of our best warriors? What happened? Nothing. None of the servants who went and got Bathsheba. You know people talk. You know they were out there right, in the palace and behind the corners just, Yo, did you see who was there? Did you see who was over there the other day? I wonder what they were doing. Yo, I, I, I heard this. Ooh, yo, I heard that. No one said anything. Bathsheba didn't say anything for a year. In the next chapter, when you read chapter 12, David finally sends, he sends a man of God named Nathan. He tells, tells Nathan what had happened. Nathan got up, praise God for a man of God who was willing to stand up and said, uh, David, you're wrong, and exposes David, broke the year-long silence and confronted this sin, confronted this wickedness. And you can ask, well, why didn't Bathsheba say anything? Well, if we've learned anything, especially from even last year with the whole #MeToo movement, that there's a lot of people out there. There's women and, and guys. Let's be honest. There's guys and women, people who have been abused. Things have happened to them, and they're afraid to say anything. They're afraid to say anything for a lot of reasons. They'll be afraid of like, well, what if? What if I make things worse if I say something? What if if it's a family member, if it's a friend, if it's somebody from church that happens? What if it, I'm going to make things worse? Well, what if, what, if, what if no one believes me? What if no one believes me? What if, what if people are not going to see me differently and think differently of me? So you can't blame Bathsheba. You can't blame people for doing that. That's a hard, hard circumstance to be in. So here's what I love about this story is that God did not want to allow her to sit in her silence. God wanted to do something about it. And a lot of times we think, yo, Bathsheba is stuck in this moment of shame, of regret. But listen, no. That is not her legacy. Too many people think Bathsheba's legacy is this scandalous scenario. It's not. Her legacy is different. Her tragedy is not her legacy. In fact, you know what it is. I'll show you what it is. Because even though King David robbed her, King Jesus restored her. King Jesus restored her. How do you know that? If you read the rest of the story, you see it. See, she Bathsheba's destiny was birthed out of this destruction. She became, you know, yeah. She eventually became a queen of Israel, because not this son who she was impregnated by. This this first son with her and David actually died. As a baby. The next son is this guy named Solomon. If you've ever read the Proverbs, you've heard of this guy named Solomon before. If you haven't read the Bible, haven't been, this is your first time in church. probably heard of Solomon before. Famous guy. Super smart guy. Bathsheba was his mom. Bathsheba was Solomon's mom. He was the king of Israel. She became a queen. And so God did stuff things in her life. Not only that, I love this part. She becomes one of the members of Jesus' family. A genealogy. God said, look, the broken, the battered, the abused, I call you family. That doesn't disqualify you from being my family. That doesn't disqualify you from being a part of the family of God just because you've done something or worse, just because something happened to you that you didn't. Ask for bring upon yourself that doesn't disqualify you guys I think the same thing works today i don't care what has happened in your life i don't care what people have done to you i don't care what you've done to others none of that will disqualify you from being a part of the family of god none of that none of that so don't be stuck in that moment but sheba didn't you may only associate her being you know having that taking a bath and that's it that's not our legacy It's bigger than that. Do you guys know what Solomon's name is? I love what God does here. Check this out. There's so many important things in names. Solomon's name means peace. It's actually related to the Hebrew word shalom. And if you read the story in 2 Samuel, it actually says that his son, the the name was Jedidiah. It's another Jedidiah, Solomon, same guy. The beloved of God. With this son, God is telling Bathsheba, I know what has gone through, but you know what? I want to give you peace to know that you are still my beloved that's the gift that god gives her broken battered robbed here's another king restoring her i want to bring you peace you are my beloved and by the way has any raise hands have you ever read any of the proverbs before raise your hand if you have if don't feel bad if you haven't if raise your hand if you ever had a proverb if you've ever read the proverbs there's a lot of advice against um scandalous promiscuous women okay now by the way ladies when you read that that applies to the fellas, because there's some shady fellas out there, okay? So if you, same thing, okay? There's the fellas and the ladies, all applies. It's just that King Solomon was a man, so he wrote it in a man's perspective. You can apply all those there. So um, guys, guess what? Where do you think, okay, Solomon received all of this wisdom against scandalous women? Because his mama was married to a dude who that was his thirst trap He constantly fell for those. Bathsheba saw firsthand the destruction of just illicitness and and those scandalous women, what it would do to your life and your legacy. She knew it. And so when you think of it, guys, listen as Solomon speaks, Bathsheba is speaking. The Lord speaks through Bathsheba, through Solomon in the Proverbs. She has a voice. You see her legacy? Her tragedy is not her legacy. It's what God has done in her life. In fact, look, I don't know if you guys like this. If you've been watching, if you've been following or being here, um, I've been doing this list of comparing the women and how they even show us who Jesus is. I think this is cool. So whatever. Geek out. Let, just let me geek out for 30 seconds. Because look at what, this is Bathsheba's legacy. Bathsheba even gives us a better picture of Jesus. You want to hear? Let me show you proof. Ready? Here we go. Bathsheba was a woman of character and honor. Jesus is a savior of character and honor. Bathsheba was called by her king for selfish purposes. Yet Jesus is a king who calls us for a greater purpose. Bathsheba suffered though she was innocent. Jesus suffered though he was innocent. Bathsheba remained silent toward her abusers. Jesus remained silent before his accusers. Bathsheba lost much yet gained much. And Jesus lost much so we can gain much. Bathsheba was given a son and this son would remind her that she was both beloved and that she could have peace. Jesus is the son of God who reminds us that through him we can have peace. And because of him, we are his beloved. Bathsheba was robbed and later restored and robed in royalty. Jesus was, Jesus restores what the enemy has robbed from us as we are robed in heavenly royalty. Bathsheba was a victim of injustice who later received victory. Jesus was a victim of injustice so we could receive victory. That's who Jesus is. That's Bathsheba's legacy, yo. That's her legacy. You see that? It's not her tragedy. Her tragedy is not her legacy. It's what God did in her life. And the same thing for you. The same thing is for you. In fact, here's one lesson, a big application. As we're going to wrap this up, I want to tell you a story. And we're going to do something today to give God a moment to move. And here it is. Here's a big application we can learn from the story, is this, silent sin is not spiritual. Please, please let this sit in your heart. Silent sin is not spiritual. During the whole hashtag me too, hashtag church too, there was another hashtag that started, which was silence is not spiritual. And this is true. Because when it comes to this, there's a few things that we need to know that we have to be able to confront the issues, call on the name of Jesus and confess sins. Listen, silent sin is not spiritual sometimes people think well, like, well i'll just let god you know if i just keep it myself it's okay i, I don't want anyone to think any, or I like, no silence brings sickness the sin just corrupts you the more you hold on to it silence is not spiritual it's not you can't just think and, and, and avoid the scenario and it's all gonna go i don't care what problem you have i'm telling you now you can't just avoid it and think it's gonna get any better you can't in fact, that's the only thing this story tells us we need to avoid. We should avoid David's you know, his actions. We should also avoid that she was silent. She was quiet. We gotta avoid that. Be able to confront our issues. Be able to call on the name of Jesus. Confess our sins. Now listen, confessing your sin doesn't mean just confessing to God what you did. It also means confessing what you didn't do. You know that there's a sin of commission means I did something I shouldn't have done. Do you know there's such a thing called a sin of omission? I should have done something, but I didn't. Okay, Joab should have said something and didn't. The servants should have said something and didn't. Bathsheba should have said something and she didn't. That's a sin of omission. But there's also the sin, all right, which is the consequence of sin, when somebody does something to you and you hold on to it. You hold on to it. Even though you didn't do it, it was somebody else who messed up that impacted your life. But if you hold on to that pain, if you're unwilling to hold on and forgive, if you're holding on to the shame, you're holding on to the fear, holding on to the worry. Listen, it is a sin because God says, "Give that all to me. Give it to me so I can restore you. Give it to me so I can heal you." Don't try to put on a brave face. No, man, give it all to me to hold it. It's also a sin. And we have to be able to confront it, call on the name, confess it. In fact, here's what we ought to do. Silent sin is not spiritual. And so here's what we should do instead. Speak the truth in love and love those we speak to. You catch me on that? Speak the truth in love and love the people we speak to. Now, this comes from Ephesians 4.15. Not that phrase. It's paraphrase. But to speak the truth in love is to remain, not is not to be silent. But we also should remain still. We shouldn't remain still. That's why we ought to love those that we speak to, even if they don't love us, even if they don't like us, even if they disagree with us. That's what Jesus does for us. So we should be willing to speak the truth in love, love the people we speak to so that God can do in them what he did in us. That's what it's about. That's what we are called to do because silent sin is not spiritual. There was a pastor in Germany during World War II, during the Nazi time, dark time in history. This pastor, at first was a pacifist, he, meaning he didn't, he didn't care about politics, he didn't care about any of that. He went from a pacifist to an activist. In fact, he was a part of um, an, an assassination attempt on Hitler, this pastor was, because it was that bad. It failed. It was called Valkyrie. It's in history. You can check it out. This pastor was eventually imprisoned because he was not only talking bad about Hitler and about what he was saying and what he was doing and, and pointing against the word of God, he was also smuggling Jews out of the country to save them. He knew what was happening. There were a lot of people who knew what was happening to Jews, and they did nothing and said nothing. They just blind eyes. This guy was in prison, later hanged for his crimes. He was hanged. And one of his most iconic statements is this one. I want to share it with you. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, Silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will, hold, God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. Silent sin is not spiritual. We ought to speak the truth in love, love those we speak to, because God will not hold us guiltless. There's nothing we need to be afraid of. In fact, as a church, I pray that our church be, and not just a church meaning our services, what happens in our buildings, because no, yes, church is can be a place, but church is a people, church is all of us. I want to see a church, and I want to continue to grow. Not that it's not, but that we can, there's always areas of growth. I want us to be a church more and more and more, becoming a church that is a greater, creates a safe place. Listen, there should be no conversation, no question off the table. Not in church. I believe that the church should be the safest place to talk about anything. The church should be the safest place to confess anything. Safe, knowing that look, I'm struggling with this, and you know you can tell a brother or sister, and they're not gonna banish you. They're not gonna, you know, spill all that out, you know, all your information out there and blast you. Like I can say, look, it's not okay. I'm not okay. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know how to deal with this. I don't know, I don't know. I want us to be a church as a safe place to say, this happened to you, I don't know what, this happened to me, I don't know what to do. We ought to be that people. That's us, that's you and I together, speaking the truth and love, loving the people we speak to. That's what we need to do, it ought to be that place. We need to be that place, because that's what God does for us. That's what he offers us. We should offer the same thing to people to be able to say there's no question that is off limits. There is no comment that is off limits. Let's talk. And you know what, and I wanna be a church that if you don't got the answer, if somebody tells you, I don't got the answer, look, I'm gonna give, you know what I do? Let me tell you, so there we are, we're all on the same page. If somebody asks you a question, says something, you don't know how to respond. You don't know what to say, because, guess, secret, I always don't know the answer. Okay, I always don't know the answer. So here's what you do your arm around that individual and says, you know what, I don't got an answer for you. But I'm going to wrestle with this question with you. You're not alone. I can't, I don't know what to tell you but I know to tell you this. Uh, This tragedy doesn't have to be your destiny. I I don't know what the answer is but I'm going to tell you we're going to find it together. That's what the church is for. That's what we ought to be. That's what we're shooting for. Because that's who our God is. Listen, through Christ, please remember this and get this in your heart. Through Christ, your tragedy doesn't have to be your destiny. Whatever has happened to you, what is happening to you, listen, maybe life is Gucci, it's great, it's nice, okay, great. It's not always going to be that way. Something will happen and there's a chance you'll get stuck in a moment. Maybe it's a a failed, a failure. Maybe it's so many of us even now, like here you are and and you're still regretting things that you should have done in the past and you're still showing up and holding your present hostage. Listen, it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be. Whatever, you know, whatever it is, maybe it's parenting, maybe you failed as a parent, you failed in your marriage, you failed in your finances, you failed in this, you failed serving the Lord, you failed at whatever, you failed a grade. I don't care, okay? All of it. All of it is included. That does not have to be your legacy. That tragedy doesn't have to be your legacy. And the reason why is because of Jesus. He's the one who makes the biggest difference. See, listen, when Jesus, when God faced sin, he was not still. He was not silent. He was not silent. He's full of words. He's been talking since the beginning. God has not been silent in the face of sin, but we also know he wasn't still because when the time came, the father sent the son. The son came for us. He died on the cross for us so we could live. Jesus didn't remain still. Jesus didn't remain silent. That was not who he is and we should be the same. Listen, God, Jesus lives today to restore anything that the enemy has ever robbed from you. You catch me, listen, God, Jesus wants to restore all that the enemy has ever robbed from you. He's robbed you of your innocence, robbed you of your peace, robbed you of your joy, robbed you of whatever fill in the blank. God can restore what the enemy has robbed from you. There is nothing too big that he can't rectify. There's nothing too damaging that he can't heal. He can. He can. You know why? Because Jesus' tragedy was not his legacy. His tragedy was the death on the cross. His disciples, his believers were like, wait, what? He what? He's dead. They were the most confused people because they thought he was the Messiah. Messiah is not supposed to die. There were no Christians for those three days. They thought they were confused. But you know what? Jesus' tragedy is not his legacy. What is Jesus' legacy? Victory. Jesus' legacy is victory. Because that tragedy, the cross, turned into triumph three days later when he stepped out the grave. That's what that was. His tragedy turned into a triumph. Jesus' legacy is victory. And because it is, it is ours too. It's ours too. Our legacy is not, our legacy is not a tragedy. It's victory. It's Jesus, he is our legacy. So whatever it is, there is nothing too difficult you can come back from. There is no wound too big that God can't heal. And in fact, I want you to notice Shiva was called and brought over for selfish purposes, and this is when everything began. Well listen, do you hear? The king is calling you today. He's calling each and every one of you. He's always calling you. Now he's calling you not to leave your place and just enter the palace for selfish purposes. God is always calling each of you to leave the place where you are, to leave your pain, to enter into his palace where there you will find peace knowing that you are still loved by him regardless if you don't love everything that has happened. Regardless if you don't love your life, he still loves you. But he's calling you. He wants to restore what the enemy has robbed from you. Constantly, he's calling you. He wants you to trade in your tragedy and receive triumph in Jesus' name. Your legacy is Jesus. Your legacy is his victory. And when we claim that, then God now calls us To be his hands and feet, to be like Nathan, to go out to the silent, to go out with those that have no voice, to give them a voice, to go out to the hurting and to encourage them, to find the lonely and tell them that they're not alone, to find those who are hopeless and to say, no, if God did it in me, he can do it in you. You can be a part of his family too because he lives and you can live.